Welcome, Hope Grown Faith, to another Monday Mom Mentor, where we are equipped and inspired to nurture the hope of Christ in our homes. And I'm really delighted to introduce you today to Amanda Erickson from Flourishing Homes and Families. We were just connecting a little bit before, and I'm just so excited for you to hear what she has to say. I think there's some great golden nuggets here that you're going to be able to take away for your own parenting. So before I talk too much, Amanda, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, my name is Amanda Erickson. I am a former foster mom. That's how we got started in our parenting journey. I'm married to an ordained minister who is currently in his 15th year of uh, teaching at a seminary here in Texas. We live in Texas. Um, He has a PhD in theology and church history. He also pastored uh, a small church here near where we live for about five years. Um, So we have Basically, we're in full-time ministry between my husband's job and now Flourishing Homes and Families. We're also parents to two young boys. They are six and seven and a half. Um, They are our miracle babies after five years of infertility and being told that we would probably never be able to have um, our own pregnancy. So that is uh, just a testament in and of itself. Um, And my heart and my passion is especially for mothers, but for parents who are um, really reactive or who get triggered really easily and they know that they want to change. They know that they want to have a more gentle, grace-filled, compassionate response um, because you know, they've seen that modeled for them through Jesus Christ and they don't know how um, or what to do instead. That's really where my passion is. Um, You know, when, when we talk about parenting, a lot of people who who uh, teach about parenting, like their passion is for children. And I do, I absolutely have that passion for children as well, but really like my heart and my soul and what I could stay up late, um, you know, until the wee hours of the morning is talk is because of parents who already know they want to change and they kind of just feel a little bit stuck and don't know what to do instead. Like I have been there and um, I hold that space in my heart deeply and tenderly because it's a hard place to be. And I, I like to link arms with those parents and walk them through growth. (laughs) I love that. So let's talk about what specifically you want to help parents grow. And so your message at Flourishing Homes and Families is all about gentle parenting. Um, Can you just explain that a little bit in case people haven't heard that phrase before, unfamiliar with what it actually means? Because I don't think it means just letting your kids get away with everything, right? (laughs) Yeah. So let me just say, when we talk about gentle parenting, we are not talking about permissive or soft Mm -hmm. parenting or even really child-led parenting. Um, It is very mindful. It is very uh, biblically based. Um, But really gentle parenting. Also, I want to say... um, there's not a unique definition that everybody agrees on. Okay. There's um, a lot of authors and child psychologists and influencers on social media that they use the term and it, there's kind of a, a spectrum of what it means. Um, what it means in our home is that our parenting is grace-based gospel-based parenting. So um, we do not use any punishments in our home. We do use consequences Um want to make that clear, um, but we do not impose additional punishments on top of um, really the most natural and sometimes logical consequences that happen in a in a situation with our children. Um, we also parent from a position of, of really the fruits of the spirit. Okay, this is what convinced, convicted us was um, evidence of Christ in our heart is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all of the, our goal as parents is that all of those fruits of the spirit are evident in the way we respond, react, 
discipline guide lead our children. Um, so spirit led grace-based parenting that equips children, um, to do better in the future instead of punishing them for what has just happened really. Ooh, I got to write that down. Equips them. <laughs> Say that again. Equips them for equips better them, in the future. Um, equips them and teaches them what to do better, different or better next time instead of punishing them for what just happened. Ooh, I feel like there's like probably a whole book behind how to do that. There <laughs> so. probably is. And let me just share the idea behind it is that when we punish them, it does teach. Okay. Nobody is saying that punishments don't work, that punishments do modify, modify behavior and it can, um, it can teach them not to do that same thing again. Right. Um, but it's based in fear of not getting hurt or, um, isolated or neglected or feeling misunderstood or whatever it is. It's based in fear. And when you switch the perspective to what just happened, is not okay. It's not behavior that we're just going to allow to happen. But I want to, instead of punishing them for that, I want to teach them in the same situation, because it's going to happen again, what can you do different? What, you know, what do we model for you in these situations? How does this look? And I know, especially if you've got mamas on there with really young kids, like with 18 or 24 month old toddlers, like you're probably like, you know, how does this play out? Okay. It is a long game plan. Okay. It is, punishments are a quick fix that you just, you know, kind of nip it in the bud. Okay. We are talking about cultivating a lifelong process of growing and learning and changing and, um, and learning what to do different or better next time. Wow. I love also what you said there about a long game versus a quick fix. So often we just want to go for the quick fix. Okay, fine. I can't do that anymore. Grounded or, you know, whatever the appropriate punishment is for a two-year-old spank or whatever. But yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a long game plan. That's everything about parenting, right? Yes. <laughs> long game. Can you just explain the difference between punishment and consequences? Yeah. So, um, and, and I just feel like I need to make a disclaimer in our own parenting. We've kind of had an evolution of um, using consequences. You know, when they were younger, we relied heavily on logical consequences. So for example, um, if your child, we're going to use toddlers as an example, because that's where consequences are, at least for us, were used a little bit more heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a toddler who is throwing a toy inside, right? And you tell them they need to stop throwing the toy and they keep throwing it and you tell them again, stop throwing it. And then maybe you give a warning or a threat or um, kind of explain what the boundary is. If you keep throwing, um, you're going to get a spanking or you're going to have to go sit in timeout or whatever. The punishment would be completely unrelated to the behavior. Um, Although that's not always true because when, when toddlers hit and then they get spanked, those are kind of like they're, they're both hitting. So Um, though they are somewhat related, I guess you might say, but a punishment is really like trying to force and control the behavior, um, in a more negative way, you know, by teaching them, like, if you do this, you're going to get hurt and you don't want to get hurt. Right. So don't do this. Um, consequences would be, um, well, a natural consequence in this situation may or may not happen. If it's, if a toddler's throwing a toy in inside a natural consequence might be that something gets broken Hmm. that, you know, it like they throw something in it knocks a vase or a lamp or whatever, and it falls and gets broken. That's an, that's a completely natural consequence. Um, and that may or may not happen. A logical consequence would be you need to throw, like I can tell your body wants to throw right now. We're going to take this outside. 
Mm. You can go throw this outside. Or if, you know, if it's like raining cats and dogs and you just can't, your body wants to throw, um, let's go find something soft in a basket and you can practice throwing in the basket or, um, just take the toy away and then redirect them to a different, um, activity that probably in that case, if they're wanting to throw they're they're going to need some activity that involves sensory input and movement. So, you know, be aware of that and, and find something else they can do with their body that way. Sure. Yeah. That's the, I found that really big when I was working with preschoolers or toddlers, even at church or with my own kids redirecting. Yes. That's like, <laughs> they don't really need a punishment. They just need like, they just need yeah. you to use that energy for something else. So something else. it is a lot of hands-on work, that's for sure. But It is, yeah. And it takes creativity sometimes, you know? And it takes a lot of you- compassion for your child too, knowing, but- oh, maybe this child isn't trying to be bad and trying to disobey me. Maybe they just need to throw something, like you said. Right, yes, yeah. Um, um, okay, so you talked about this being biblical. So some people would say, well, you know, spanking my child is biblical. So how would you say gentle parenting fits more? It's biblical. Okay. Wow. So I kind of see that as two questions. Do you want me to take time to kind of answer both of them? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go really fast on the spanking discussion, which um, my husband, David has like done webinars and interviews and like, he can go into depth for about an hour on this. So I'm going to try and condense it into just a few minutes. Um, I will say we have gone over every rod verse in Proverbs and Hebrews 12 on our social media platforms. It is easier to find on Instagram. We have a rod versus highlight on Instagram. Mm. Um, Facebook took, took away the availability to organize content um, easily. So you have to do a search for it on our Facebook page. Um, But basically the Hebrew word for rod in the original language is Shabbat. And the, there was a little, some people in general parenting say that the book of Proverbs is purely metaphorical. It's poetry. It does not need to be translated literally. Okay. That is one argument. However, we also know that poetry often um, reflects reality. And in Jewish culture, there was a literal rod that was used as a judicial weapon within the context of very adult sins sins like raping your sister and dishonoring an entire tribe to the point that um like you could bring shame and annihilation to your entire family because you've dishonored them in such a huge way um the rod was you probably are familiar with um stoning a disobedient son or a dishonoring son um, in the levitical law um that the rod in ancient hebrew was the last resort of like trying to get their attention before you stone them before that before capital punishment is administered. Okay. So when we talk about a rod, we're not talking about a wooden spoon. We're not talking about a hand. We're not talking about um, a toddler telling, you, no, we're talking about very adult sins um, that were very serious and very grave. And so in Proverbs, where it says that you will save him when you use a rod, you will save him from Sheol, the place of the dead. It had literal meaning, you know, it was literally trying to get this young man, young adult attention before we have to stone them. What's really interesting about the rod though, it was never administered by parents. It was handed over in a judicial sense to the tribal leaders, Um, so I think that's one way that we also kind of misunderstand the rod. We think of it as familial. We think of it as parent parental discipline and and it, it wasn't, it was used on a son, but it was not used by the parent. Um, 
So all, I just want to point out like the rod, because I think the definition of the rod by itself is evidence that it was not used on young children. Um, the, um, the guidelines in the Levitical law for using a rod um, included, like, if you killed a person with a rod, then you could then be prosecuted for murder. Okay, like, that's how violent wow. it was. There is no way that a child could withstand this kind of beating. Um, but for those who aren't convinced, the word in Proverbs that is translated child um, so foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but a rod of chastisement will drive it far from him. Um, that word is na'ar, N-A-A-R, which that's our transliteration of the of the letters in English. Um, and na'ar, uh, first of all, just so you know, the book of Proverbs was first, very first, trans. the first time it was translated into English, it was translated by a man who didn't know any Hebrew at all. He translated it from German into English. So um, I just want to let you know, like, if you're like, well, how come it was used as child back then? Well, he wasn't translating it from Hebrew. Mm-hmm. He didn't know Hebrew at all. He was not using Hebrew as context for what he was translating. Um, Na'ar is used as a child to describe a, an infant and a child. I want, I think it's in three, maybe four places in the, um, in the old Testament, every single other time it's describing a youth, young adult or slave. Oh. Um, the three or four instances where it is describing a young child, a baby, um, it is in exceptional circumstances where the child is independent from their father's house in protection every single time. Um, N- Moses is described as a Na'ar. Oh. Joseph as a young man is des- and it's described in the context of when he is placed in the basket and put on, put on the river. So like he is no longer under his father's protection oh. and home. Man, I said this is going to be short. Can you tell we're passionate about this? <laughs> yeah, I can tell. It's super um, interesting. Anyways, okay. So, the, but every single case, all three or four in it, we've got it on on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. It is describing someone who is outside of their father's authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we consider that, along with the definition of the Shabbat and the violent judicial weapon that it was, I we do not see any evidence in Proverbs and therefore in Hebrews, although there's a whole other discussion about Hebrews that advocates for hitting children. Um, the last thing with that is that when you study uh, ancient Israel, Israelite culture, they viewed children very highly. Um, they actually believed that children were pure up until um, around the age of 12 or 13, about when, when they would have their bat mitzvah. mitzvah. Yeah. Apologies for screwing <laughs> that up. Um, <laughs> They were not held accountable to the law. Uh, they believed that childhood, um, like in the lifespan of a human childhood, was a flashback and reminiscent to the Garden of Eden before the fall. Like they really viewed childhood as pure and innocent. Wow. Um, so they were not using a rod. They also actually had rules against hitting children, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally against hitting children. Um, these are not in the Bible. These are obviously uh, in additional texts outside of the Bible yeah. um, and in their teaching. But their argument was that if you strike a child, you could cause them to s- the sin of dishonoring your parent oh. by making them angry. And that is a 10 commandments commandment. Like that's yeah. what you, you cannot make your child disobey the 10 commandments. Okay. So don't hit them because then they might dishonor you. Well, that's in Ephesians too, about not throwing uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Encouraging. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, the 
banking argument. I just want to say, if this is a brand new concept to you, I know it's not to you, um, but for those who are watching, if this is brand new, like I'm sharing from a place of, I had to learn this. Okay. We started out with our oldest child spanking. Um, he is seven. He was spanked two or three times. Our six-year-old has never been spanked. Um, I mentioned we did foster care. Um, 10, 10 years ago, my, our, my Facebook, my Facebook memories from 10 years ago yesterday were about a 10 year old who we couldn't spank because he was in foster care. And in Texas, that's illegal to spank a kid in foster care. So what do I do? Because X, Y, Z. Okay. Like 10 years ago, we just thought it was normal. We didn't know any difference. So if this is new to you, like I understand the shock and maybe a little resistance, um, that it's okay. And that's normal. Like that's part of learning and growing is to kind of be like, wait, what, um, that's a normal part of it. Yeah. As far as gentle parenting, that's all the negative side of it. Like as far as what we as Christians are called to do and to be, um, we're going to look to the New Testament and we're going to look to how Jesus and Paul elevate children. Mm. Um, in that Greek culture, children had no rights. They had, they were not worth anything. They were um, not valued or favored at all. And Jesus tells us that we have to become like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like he elevates them to a be like them, like model your life after a child. And a lot of people think say, well, yeah, but he's talking about have the faith of a child. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that anywhere in there. So read what's actually in the text, take off your, your preconceived ideas yeah. and read what's there. Um, when you think about how ancient Israel viewed childhood and viewed, viewed childhood as pure and innocent. So for Jesus to say, like, you have to become like a child, it kind of shifts exactly what we, what we don't, didn't know he was saying. Um, and then Paul as well, when he tells parents um, to train up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and be mindful of not causing them wrath, not causing them to feel anger, not causing them to feel exasperated by what you're placing on them. This was radical in the ancient Greek world. You know, um, children were kind of basically property and you could treat that. You could treat them like you would treat your slaves or your animals. Um, and, and Paul is coming in and being like, no, like, there's a way you need to treat them and it's being my being mindful of their emotions and how yes. you're, how, what you're training them is impacting them. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the specific things about children and parenting. But then when you, when you look at all of the instructions that Christians are given and you apply that to your parenting, like in Galatians six, one, um, Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, you know, if you've caught someone in sin, restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Mm. And, you know, we think of that in the context of, of a church, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but when, when you take that and that is the context that he wrote it to. Okay. Not, I'm not saying that's not the context he wrote it to church leaders and those who were influential in the church and was like, Hey, you need to be gentle with those who are caught in sin, but we can take that teaching into our parenting and be like, you know, when you catch your children in sin or when they're misbehaving, like respond with gentleness, that goes all the way back to Proverbs that a gentle answer turns away wrath, you know? Um, and then, another one I already mentioned, it was really the fruits of the spirit. Like there's not a, there's not a, here's evidence of the spirit, unless you're disciplining your children or unless your children are misbehaving or unless you're at your wits end, like, no, 
I want to be kind and gentle and loving and good towards my children and bear the fruits of the spirit. I can't do that on my own. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it has to be the fruits of the spirit coming out in those moments because on my own, there's no way that's happening. Um, so there was one more that I was going to mention too, from the new Testament and it just escaped me. My squirrely brain. Totally. <laughs> Well, that is, there is, you're right. There is so much biblical precedence for this way of thinking. And it is a lifestyle too. I mean, for me, like I'm naturally really reactive and I used to be like super angry about all kinds of things, like from my kids to politics to like everything. Right. And it has really been over the last five years, like Jesus just softening my heart and being um, like gentle. I'm gentle with my children now most of the time I'm, I'm very gentle and respond with grace to my children, but I've had to take what I've learned with them and practiced with them and apply it with, you know, people in my church that I have a disagreement with or people online that I have a disagreement with. <laughs> be like, you know what? I've done this hard work for my, for my children. And now it's time to do that for, for others as well. You know, like this is gentleness is a lifestyle um, mm-hmm. that Christians are called to. And, um, and, and leaders within the Christian church that, um, that Paul giving instruction to Timothy and to Titus, he called them to, to gentleness. And we also, uh, the, the one I thought of was like, we always say that verse, like you want to always be able to give an answer, right? I think that's in mm-hmm. Peter, like for the hope that is within you. And we stop right there. And the very next thing is do it with gentleness, mm-hmm. um, you know? And I think that we've just kind of forgotten that gentleness is, um, an important character trait and an important quality of being indwelled by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Well, and gentleness doesn't mean weakness either. I, so no. I was telling you before my next book coming out is, uh, it's actually about the fruit of the spirit. It's a devotional for families on that. And so when I talked about gentleness, I said, it's not weakness. It's when you're very strong and you have to hold back. Like a baby isn't gentle. A big okay. man holding a baby is gentle. Right. It's yeah. Power it's under control. Under we don't, control. Yeah. we feel like in these situations when our kids are acting out that we've lost power. And I think that's why we react and we, we're trying to like regain power because we're yep. bigger than them. Yeah. But gentleness is exactly what Jesus did. He came as a lamb and he's also the, li- he's also the lion and the lamb, right? So he could have come as a lion, but he didn't. He came as a lamb, and, but he still has that part of his, yes. his person. Yeah. And he's the Prince of peace and you don't cultivate peace by dominating others and forcing and controlling others. Yeah, Uh, exactly. (laughs) We have seen over the centuries that does not work. It just doesn't work. (laughs) No. Um, We're just in a repeat cycle. (laughs) All of history. (laughs) So you were talking about being gentle with, you know, other people, but do you believe that we also like, how does this pertain to being gentle with ourselves? I can see some moms listening to this and going, oh, I'm just beating myself up now because I've been doing this. I just can't. I lash out and then I'm an awful person. And like, how does that relate to us just being gentle with ourselves as we grow? Yeah. You know, that's another thing that I had to learn <laughs> was to be really, it, it's called, I think in psychology, it's called like self-compassion. And I think some mm-hmm. people kind of like steer away from that. They're like, that sounds a little too woo woo. Um, but you know what I learned, I was able to be more compassionate with my children and more gentle with my children and their struggle to do the right thing. When I looked at myself and was like, I am an adult. I have a fully functioning prefrontal cortex. My brain is fully developed. I believe I have every reason to believe that (laughs) 
I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me and I struggle to do what I want to do, what I know is right. I struggle to be patient with my children. I struggle when my kids are fighting and somebody's about to get hurt. I struggle to not like come out as a mama bear, you know, with this otherworldly scream at them to stop, you know, like this is something that I have to um, be very intentional to not do. And so when I realized that I had, that I struggled right with good behavior, which is a whole other thing, but like for my own good behavior, I struggled with doing what I knew was the right thing to do. That helped me be really compassionate with my children. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that is that my children don't have a fully developed brain, right? That's not going to come along until they're about 25 years old. They are constantly learning new things. They are, their brain is constantly growing and changing. Um, but that doesn't mean because we have fully functioning brains, prefrontal cortex and logical brains that our brain isn't constantly changing and growing, right? We, um, when, when we learned how to respond to a specific behavior in our children, which for most of us, we probably learned it as children in how our parents responded to us or reacted to us. Like that's how we learned what is the normal way to respond. Mm -hmm. Um, it formed pathways in our brain, right? That for 20 or 30 or 40 years, our brain was like, this is just what you do. And our brain always takes the path of least resistance. And what we've done is we've gone in, we've created a new path, we've created a roadblock in our brain. It takes time for that new habit to develop. It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process and it is designed by God to be a process. Um, and when I leaned into that and realized that, man, I just blew it with my children. Um, I could be really, really gentle with myself because I finally realized it's not meant to be a flip switch that you just turn on gentleness or turn it off. It is meant to be something that you grow into, that you mature into, that you transform into. Um, and so when I do when I did. And when I do, you know, mess up, like I become very self-reflective and like, okay, what was going on? Um, what were my own triggers? What was, what was happening and what do I want to do next time? Like how, if this exact same thing happens, what do I want to do next time? Um, and then I would practice that. Right. And do that rewiring in my brain, um, to, so that the next time it happened, hopefully I'd be more likely, or it'd be easier for me to respond the way that I want to. Um, but I also want to say like having gentleness with yourself is realizing you changing and learning and growing is modeling that for your children. And if your children are a bit older and this is new, or you still really struggle with it, your children have the opportunity to see this upfront front row to what being transformed into more like Christ looks like. Yeah. And that is missing in a lot of churches and in a lot of homes. Um, and so when we admit that we make a mistake and we repair and we ask our children, like, how can I make this right? Um, and we model that authenticity and we model struggle. It teaches our children. It's okay to make mistakes. That's part of being human. There is enough grace for it. And then they get to see upfront, like, wow, I remember when it was like this and I saw what Jesus did in my mom's heart. Mm -hmm. And that is going to teach them that Jesus is trustworthy and that he ch literally changes lives. Oh, you know what? Okay. That reminds me of a book I read a while ago where they followed some research from young adults um, that stayed 
Christians as they grew up and they were trying to figure out what are the what's the continuity between these parents what is the same one of the I think the top three things was having parents that apologized to them recognized their <laughs> their own sin and apologize to their children and, and exactly what you're saying so the kids are allowing they're allowing their kids to see God working in their own hearts so instead of pretending that we're perfect it's actually right. better in the long run for our children's yeah. spiritual health for us to say, wow, I'm sorry. I messed that up. I should not have yelled at you. Yeah. <laughs> and let's tell you about that. Like, this is how I want to respond next time because they will hold you accountable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. I really like what you said about like practicing that too. I think that's a good way to just be gentle on ourselves. We don't want to just be gentle, but like, okay, everybody makes mistakes. I see that a lot. Like, Right. But no, God does call us to be renewed by the, oh man, right. transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? <laughs> well, it's um, the same thing with our children. Like we want to teach them what to do next time to do mm -hmm. different or better next time, right? Well, we need to teach ourselves what to do different or better next time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I ran across it. We should probably wrap it up here pretty quick, okay. but I did want to, you had an article on your blog about rest for moms. And I wanted to briefly touch on that. How does being gentle with your children. How is that, what's the relation between that and rest as parents? Oh, wow. Okay. I, uh, I, this is something I feel like I could talk on a lot as well. <laughs> um, Here, just my sand timer. Just kidding. I, okay. I read That's a, for my kids, not for you. By, uh, Jenny Allen several years ago called, and mm -hmm. mm, I'm not going to remember what the name of the book is, but it was about not striving. Okay. Well, I am a recovering perfectionist <laughs> and I am uh, very much in that I'm not. I'm not like valuable or worth anything if I'm not producing. Okay. Like that's kind of how my brain works. And so God has been working on my heart about not striving and resting in him for probably five years. Um, one thing that really shifted my perspective was studying ancient Jewish culture, actually, um, because you're, you may be aware. I think a lot of people are aware that um, in, in the Jewish tradition, the day begins at sundown right? Like mm -hmm. that's when, um, like that's the start of the day of a new day is at sundown and that we see that in some of the feasts and in some of Jesus teaching, um, that it was a, a new day that began at sundown. And one thing that's, that struck me with that is that in, in God's economy, in the way he set it up and taught his children, um, it starts with rest because at sundown you eat your dinner and you oh. go to bed right? We start in our economy. We start our day with coffee and productivity, get something done, make the bed, go to work. Yeah. Right. Um, in God's economy, we start with rest. That is the foundation. And there, it takes a lot of unlearning, a lot of things, right. To be able to really lean into that. Um, and there's also a balance because the other, like on one extreme, you wind up with perfectionism with this in the extreme, you, you wind up with, well, being just a passive participant in life and in your community where it's just like, well, I'm supposed to rest. So I'm just going to let God do it. You know? <laughs> okay. That's, that's not what it means. I mean, he called us to cultivate the earth and to bring flourishing, you know, to the earth. And so it does absolutely take work and it does, you know, sometimes that work is going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be exhausting, but we start from a position of resting in who God is and what he has called us to do and living out our purpose. Um, and that our worth and our value is not 
not in our productivity. It is in who God says that we are. And we are image bearers of him. And we are, um, you know, salt and light um, in a world that values all of this productivity and performance. And we don't have, like, we have a different way. Mm. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I so agree. And I think that we are actually more productive when we take a rest too. At least I find that for me, like, yeah. To be most productive, I can't just run myself ragged trying to do, do, do. Even just this week, I on Saturday, I was like, okay, don't just sit around. <laughs> like, right. yeah. Hoping, you know, that's not a rest. Procrastination is not a rest, at least not for yes, me. Exactly. <laughs> so I just tried to get everything done so that yesterday on Sunday, then I can just be with Genuinely. my kids, be with family, not feel like there's this like stuff that I have to do. Right. So, yeah. And then now today I'm like, okay, let's get into it. Um, And that's something, you know, with general parenting too, that we taught our children, this is kind of, I mean, this is probably for some people are going to be like, are you crazy? But like our children, we did not keep them on a nap schedule. Like we didn't say like eat, play, nap, eat, play, nap, you know, like this is our cycle. Um, From very, very early, we watched their cues so we could see when they were tired and then we would help them sleep, Mm. whether or not it was this scheduled nap time. But then as soon as they were really able to communicate it, we taught them like, listen to your body. What does your body say? Is it time for a rest? And then when they stopped taking naps and moved into quiet time, we did the exact same. They would be like, when can we come out for a quiet time? I was like, listen to your body. Your body will tell you when you've rested. And so they would come out and be like, so can we come out now? And I would say, what did, what did your body say? And my body said, I'm fine. I was like, okay, if your body says differently in a little bit, let's go back to quiet time. Um, but now they're six and seven and they will just come to me like, I need a little bit of quiet time. I'm going to go to my room. And like, they will just go lay down, get a will lay in their little book corner and get a book and they're older now. So now it's like 10 or 15 minutes. It's not like mm-hmm. two hours of nice and quiet or anything. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> Um, but we've taught them like, listen to your body. God designed your body to rest and your body will tell you when it needs rest. And then honor that when you honor your body in that way, you are honoring God and his creativity and what, um, you know, what he has given you and gifted you with the body that you have. And so I think that, you know, teaching that to my children also helped transform my heart because I was like, I'm not exactly walking the walk in this. Like, you know, I'm trying to do, 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 do while they're taking their nap. Cause I got to get it done, you know? Yeah. And so really kind of being like, you know what, if I'm going to teach them this, I have to model it for them and, and honor, like I'm honoring God when I rest because he created us with a need to rest. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I, I was writing down here. Rest when you need it. That's being gentle with yourself as well. If you desperately need rest, maybe the dishes can wait or yeah, absolutely. The other stuff can wait. Wow. (laughs) That's great. And teaching that to our kids as well. So, so great. Anyway. I would love to continue chatting with you, but we should probably wrap it up. (laughs) Maybe I'll have to get you on again. So where can we find you and your husband online? Yeah. So we are um, on Facebook and on Instagram and TikTok now at Flourishing Homes and Families. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're on TikTok, like, don't, don't be very hopeful over there. That's kind of just a... That's a little bit of an experiment. Um, we, are, I am personally most active on Instagram. I love Instagram stories and I hop in over there way more often than, than we do on Facebook. My husband, David, is a bit more active on Facebook. Okay. Um, it is at Flourishing Homes and Families. And um, yeah, if you 
on Instagram, we've got everything like categorized in stories, like anything you want to find, you would be able to go look through stories and find it. Facebook, it's a little trickier. So if you hop over there and you have a question, you can shoot me a message and I'll send you a link um, and try and help you navigate to what you might be looking for. Awesome. And then you guys have a website as well, right? Flourishing Home. We do. So we, <laughs> it's a long <laughs> story. Um, the, the, the active website that we are using now is called wherefamiliesflourish.com. Oh. Um, yeah, it has, um, I haven't moved all of the blog content over yet. So we do have an older website. Um, but yeah, it's wherefamiliesflourish.com. You can find us there. We have some tools and resources um, for free. I have a Transform Your Triggers guidebook um, that is completely free to you. It kind of walks you through what I did to become less less angry, less reactive. Um, we have a discipline evaluation for parents that you might want to put on some steel toe boots for before <laughs> <laughs> before you read it. Yeah. Um, we measured yourself. <laughs> not judgmental. Okay. We meant it to be challenging and to get your heart and your mind thinking and praying about how you discipline your children. Mm-hmm. We do not mean it to be judgmental. Um, it is from a place of learning and growing and becoming more like Christ. But yeah, all our, our tools and resources are over there. Uh, okay. Well, I'll link to the correct website then. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thanks. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Amanda. Thank you so much for having us. Having me. <laughs> I'm so used to saying <laughs> David. Okay. <laughs> the royal Bye. Name.